DC Public Library podcast is made possible in part by the Institute of Museum and Library Services and is a production of the Labs at DC Public Library. Hello, and welcome to the People's Podchive, recorded in the labs at Martin Luther King Jr. Memorial Library. I'm Laura Farley, Digital Curation Librarian, and it's just me. Lisa Warwick is taking a break while she serves as Interim Manager of the People's Archive. On this episode, I am so very excited to share with you one of our newer digital collections, the Center for Inspired Teaching, Real World History Class, Oral History Collection. Okay, so hello, my name is Zola Rogan. Hello, my <laughs> name is Nicolas Pereira. This is Romani Wilson, and I am interviewing Ms. Thelma Jones for my Real World History class. I'm conducting an interview for the Real World History Oral History Project. I am conducting this interview for the Great Migration Oral History Project in my Real World History class. <sighs> that clip gets me with the feels every single time. This collection contains six years of oral history interviews conducted by D.C. high school students with residents who migrated to the district during the Great Migration. These students are so respectful and smart and clearly interested in how the experiences of their fellow Washingtonians shape the city we live in today. This course is currently co-taught by Cosby Hunt and Max Peterson. Let's listen to how Mr. Hunt describes the real-world history class. Real World History is a credit-bearing after-school class for DC students. We spend the whole first semester studying the Great Migration by reading Isabel Wilkerson's The Warmth of Other Suns. Her book chronicles the stories of three migrants and um, tells the story of the six million people who were part of the Great Migration through their stories. One of the many great things about Wilkerson's book is that she provides us with a framework to do our interviews. The basic organization of the book is it looks at life in the South, the decision to leave, the journey itself, and life in the North. So students use that framework to create their interview questions. Life in the South, so, um, what was your early life like in Georgia? Their decision to leave the South. So that let me know, I, I can't just stay in New Orleans. I must leave. Their journey to the North or the West. When my mom and daddy and my brother put me on the train, <laughs> I was scared, but determined. And then their lives in the North. I had uh, lived up in uh, Upper Northwest, you know, I, I felt like I had accomplished something. They, they are documenting stories that have never been documented before. Wow, Mr. Hunt, Mr. Peterson, can I sign up? This course sounds absolutely amazing. Let's look at a couple of the skills and lessons the students learn during the course. Oral histories and the Great Migration may be new to you. Oral history is either an audio or video recording of a planned interview. This means an oral history is usually a one-on-one -on -one conversation where an interviewer asks questions of the narrator around a specific topic or event. 
Before the interview, the person asking the question commonly completes research around the topic or the event so that they have, you know, a little more focus for the interview. Interviewers and narrators may also meet for a mini-interview before the recorded session to get to know each other and to discuss the flow of the recorded session. Typically, after an interview is complete, a transcript and time-coded index of the interview are created. With a few exceptions, all the oral histories in our digital collection, DigDC, have transcripts and indexes. I know for me personally, the Great Migration was never taught in my high school history classes. It's an era that many people still alive today lived through and participated in, and it was a catalyst for all kinds of change that touched everything from labor unions to pop culture. The Great Migration was an exodus of African Americans out of the South to the Northeast, the Midwest, and the West between roughly 1916 to 1970. During this period, more than 6 million people decided to leave their homes in the South and take their chances of finding a better life outside of Jim Crow America. Single people, families, young, the old, they all packed their belongings and joined growing communities of Black people in cities like New York, Chicago, Detroit, Los Angeles, and of course, our home, Washington, D.C., some migrants had family and friends already living in their destination cities. Others moved to neighborhoods where they were total strangers. People left the South for greater economic opportunity, and many found it in their new homes. Every move took courage. Let's listen to a 2018 clip of Edith Crutchfield explaining to student Isabella Ramos Bracho why she and many people like her left their homes in Culpeper, Virginia. You left Culpeper at 16 in what year? 1953. And what kind of things influenced? Like, was there like a main reason why you left? Like a sudden? Yeah. There wasn't any uh, viable employment there for people of color. All of my sisters before me had already left because we knew we couldn't get a job in any of the stores. We couldn't work in the bank. The only thing available to you was going to be housekeeping. So that was the main reason most, not only our family, but almost all the families of people called kind of left from uh, Culpeper. And uh, just looking for better opportunities, which we knew were not going to be found there. The Great Migration led to a cultural blossoming for all kinds of artists and creatives, including the Harlem Renaissance and the Chicago Black Renaissance. D.C. had its own cultural blossoming during this period, as more Black residents moved to the district and white families left for surrounding suburbs. D.C. was a hub for arts, education, and civil rights. The district was a majority Black and brown city by high margins from the 1950s through the 1990s, and by the 1970s, during the Marion Barry era, was affectionately known as Chocolate City. But it wasn't all good times and success. Although migrants escaped the horrors of the Jim Crow South, new arrivals were often greeted by hostile communities who felt threatened by the influx of what they considered to be economic competition. Northern cities used tactics such as redlining, the practice of excluding services to people because of their race or identity, 
most frequently seen in housing discrimination, and labor union exclusion to control black people. The legacy of these discriminatory practices is still felt by many black and brown families today. Migrants also experienced explicit and unspoken expectations of segregation in their new homes. In this clip from 2014, Reverend Irene Pierce shares with student Tanae Crumlin her experiences of racism and segregation as a child in the district. But did you expect for Washington to be different? Like, did you, from coming from South Carolina, like... Well, I had no expectations. I just, uh, it, it was, well, one of the things was it, it, uh, they did not have the white and colored signs on the water fountains like they had in the South. I remember that. Um, but, but you knew, I mean, you knew where you could go and what you could do. You were limited to where you could go and, um, what you can do. In fact, the Southerners, Southerners were, um, as I grew up, and uh, uh, particularly the lady that took care of me with her children, she treated me just like one of them until they had a birthday and other people would come. Until others would come? Instead of her, their friends, their white friends would come. But then I would have to go back in the kitchen with my mother. So, but that's the way it was there. You just uh, and they played with me and all, but I was not included in the in the groups of their company, their friends. The Center for Inspired Teaching Real World History Oral History Project includes interviews with Washingtonians born between the late 1920s to the late 1950s. Most of the narrators moved to the district in the 1950s and the 1960s during the second wave of the Great Migration. Let's listen to Mr. Hunt describe this time and how it shaped D.C. There's no way to talk about the history of Washington, D.C. without talking about the Great Migration. The first wave of the Great Migration from World War I through the 1930s gets a lot of attention. And... The second wave of the migration gets plenty of attention, but the wave, the second wave as it pertains to Washington, D.C., not so much. D.C. is just at the border of North and South. In fact, some people have called it the Up-South. So this collection, I hope, is giving the world uh, a special look into a part of the Great Migration that hasn't been looked at as closely as others. I mean, we've, we've seen a lot about Chicago. <laughs> we've seen a lot about folks going to New York and Harlem. So I hope that our collection is a way to shed light on the second wave and its impact on one very important city, my city, our city. A new school year just kicked off and a new class of real-world history students will be beginning preparations for another batch of oral histories for this collection. First, though, they're reading The Warmth of Other Suns by Isabel Wilkerson. You can read along, too, and learn more about this incredible chapter in American history. Look for a link in the show notes to copies of The Warmth of Other Suns, available through D.C. Public Library. 
To close out this segment, let's listen in on some advice from Deacon Clarence Haywood to Samir Glazerman during their 2020 interview. Don't let one door closing be the last door you try. Right. <laughs> that has always been my philosophy. Yeah. So one door closed, knock on another one. Find another one, yeah. If you get knocked down, get back up. Mm-hmm. Because there's going to be some rough times. It's just how life works. So if you can't find opportunities in one place, you look somewhere else. Mm -hmm. You're going to get discouraged, but pick yourself up.
Did you enjoy that music? That's just a snippet of our newest digital collection in Dig DC, Friday Morning Music Club. This collection contains 92 Friday Morning Music Club concerts recorded between 1968 and 2010 and digitized from reel-to-reel tape, cassettes, and CDs. This organization has been active in the district since 1886 and provides free performances to the community, as well as a space for local composers and musicians to showcase their talents. Want to hear the Friday Morning Music Club live? Come into the MLK Auditorium on the second and third Wednesdays of the month at noon, starting in October. Also new in Dig DC is the Chip Pie Go-Go Collection, showcasing over 1,900 images of the Go-Go community between 2010 and 2020. The creator and donor of this collection, Chip Pie, captured stunning images of bands and performers like the godfather of Go-Go himself, Chuck Brown, EU, Belladonna, and Rare Essence. Gogo was made the official music of DC in February 2020, and this collection captures the energy and joy of this unique DC music genre. And last but not least are 95 huge and colorful protest posters from the Emergency Committee on the Transportation Crisis poster collection. These posters feature caricatures of politicians, charts and graphs, and bold catchphrases like TV coverage is not citizen participation. Find Friday Morning Music Club, Chip Pie Go-Go Collection, and Emergency Committee on the Transportation Crisis posters all in Dig DC now. That's our show. Join us next time to take another peek into the stacks of the People's Archive. Until then, get vaccinated, wear a mask where it's required, and come see us on the fourth floor of the Martin Luther King Jr. Memorial Library. This episode was written by me, Laura Farley. Sound engineering was provided by Robert LaRose of The Labs at DC Public Library and Siobhan Hagen. Check our show notes for links to all the collections mentioned in this episode and a calendar of events, as well as how to get a copy of The Warmth of Other Suns. Find us on Facebook at People's Archive at DC Public Library. Have a question? Email us at peoples.archive at dc.gov or stop by the Martin Luther King Jr. Memorial Library and say hello. We're open Monday through Saturday, 10 to 6, except Thursday when we're open 12 to 7. Remember to bring a mask. Until then, see you in the stacks. You just tuned in to the DC Public Library podcast. Listen and subscribe at dclibrary.org slash podcast or wherever podcasts are available. Send us your comments at DCPL on Twitter or follow us at DC Public Library on Instagram and Facebook. Thank you for listening.